Good evening. Still on the 47th Anacheda of Srila Rupa Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, discussing the fact that all in relationship to Bhagavan Sri Krishna is fully transcendent, absolutely transcendental. His name, his form, his attributes, his leela. We've now come to the section of this is the second subsection, the first subsection dealing with the fact that the holy name itself is fully transcendental. Jiva Goswami goes forward from there, kind of deals with a very relevant question. Well, if it's fully transcendental, why am I not experiencing it as fully transcendental? So first, he... He points out that when we hear the fact that the Lord's holy name is fully transcendental, uh, we shouldn't accept it as, and the translator to English has used the word, a eulogy, an Arthur Vod. It's not just, there's no exaggeration involved in the statements that are being given. We know what a eulogy is like. Generally, they're given after you're gone and people attribute to you things that really you never lived up to in your life. Sometimes you did, but sometimes you did. So, these statements regarding the efficacy of the holy name should not be viewed as, as that. And the technical term in Sanskrit is arthavad, uh, speech filled with praise. Because in the Padma Purana it states, it is an offense to the holy name to think that the glories of the holy name are in any way an exaggeration or a eulogy. So one can say, well, it's very hard to believe that one can attain anything and everything, spiritual and material, merely by chanting a sound vibration. It's rather extraordinary. But we're told the holy name is that powerful. And Jiva Goswami warns against having such a mentality that it's, you know, a phantasmagoria. And if we look to our human condition, we generally have a hard time with these kind of situations. We have a hard time accepting that by simply putting a jewel on our body, we can counteract so many things. We have a hard time accepting the potency of herbs. Herbs. We have a hard time of uh, understanding the the efficacy of of mandalas or of uh, vastu in Vedic culture or what is it feng shui and. Chinese culture, situating your house a certain way, you can, you can alleviate difficulties in someone in your life if you live in that house. It's been pointed out to me that you never want to build your house at an intersection in such a way that the vehicles coming up to the intersection would, if they continued in the direction they are coming up to the intersection, drive through your house. That all that energy just, it, 
you know, it's it's very, very troubling. Or if you place your bed under a beam and you and your wife sleep in it, it will drive you apart. And to believe that all these mantras, different mantras, have such such effects. So different people and different they they have different faith in 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 these things different degrees of faith we see going forward in kali yuga practically there's no faith in any of this to, to, to go up to the man on the street and say hey if you wore a sapphire it would have this effect because you have this kind of a of a character or your doshas or could balance your doshas and you'd, you'd be a much better man. And he'd just say, <laughs> he'd chuckle and go on his way. Or if you built your house in this way with this and that, your life would just be so pleasing. You know, living in that house, you would have, have no difficulties at all just by the architecture. So you need to hire somebody to come in and 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 work with your designer and make sure that the vastu is right or the, the the feng shui is right. So the point's just being made that, especially now in kali yuga, kind of predisposed to have have uh, a high uh, a high rate of skepticism in, in these guys. And, I mean, and it's carrying on into things in the empiric world to the extent that, I mean, now you have fake news. Fake news. You can't trust the news. Now you have degrees coming out of universities and you can get a piece of paper after, you know, spending countless hours learning worthless information and the degree's not worth the paper it was printed on and you're left with a big debt and you still can't get a job. So is the way, the progress of Kali Yuga. It, it, it's, everything's working against us <coughs> except the holy name. So if we're not going to believe any of this stuff, let's at least believe one thing, the efficacy of the holy name. And that's the point we want to come away with this evening is it is extremely effective. The Vedas contain five types of statements, of which Arthur Vod is one. And that includes exaggerations. And it's there to encourage people to perform certain religious acts and to avoid certain irreligious acts. The Veda says if you sacrifice a horse to the wind god Vayu, then you'll swiftly, swiftly attain wealth. Because he's a, he has, a, he's, the wind is fast. No impediments. So the holy name does not fall into this category of, of ex, extraordinary exaggeration. When we read in the scripture the efficacy of the holy name, it should be taken at face value. Not everything in the Vedas is like that. And we need to develop fine discrimination under good association as to what parts of the Vedas are valid and what parts are are there simply to encourage humanity. Might be a bit of an exaggeration, 
like, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Or the descriptions of hell. And even the Acharyas may give a different explanation uh, as to the literal or figurative value of certain sections, even of the Bhagavatam. Uh, our spiritual master, Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, he said, well, the descriptions in the fifth canto of the hellish planets, this is, these are literal descriptions. And Bhaktivedanta had a little more liberal look at it. It was more of, more of what's being pointed out here, an Arthur Vaad, to just to keep us on the right course. But reading those descriptions and looking at simply the reactions that can be viewed in human society, over the decades, you can see how, you know, the first of all, our own mental anxieties that we're put in are sometimes so severe, the body's not being ripped apart, but the mind is certainly feeling that the body's being ripped apart. There's validity to the fact that this material world is full of suffering, and you don't really need to go to hell to experience it. And you don't need to go far to see how bad it can be. There are, there are clans of people, tribes of people in jungles that will throw you in a pot, boil you alive, and eat you. And it happens. And there are, there are demoniac people that will throw you in a cell and, and gash you to death. And it's happened. And, well... We accept that part of history. Some people would even argue, well, that's not a literal thing. That was just an exaggeration. So you can see how these... We're not here to argue the validity one way or another. Just the thought of it's enough to, to scare the dickens out of you, right? The holy name, and when we read about it in the Shastra, should be taken, whatever glorifications there, as fully appropriate. Just technically speaking, an injunction, a vidi, that recommends the performance of an activity and directly states its benefits should not be considered an arthurvad. So when we read, you should do this in Shastra, then it shouldn't be taking, taken just as, as a, a, an exaggeration in order to to encourage you to act in one way or another. It's an injunction. So, again, learning to discriminate between what are, what's the vidi part of the Shastra and what's the Atharvad is, is required. And we notice that a lot in Jiva Goswami. He, he rips through certain things and said, don't look at it that way. It doesn't mean that at all. And we're about to come to one of those sections because we're looking at this verse by Gajendra and it's talking about, you know, about the the second half of the verse he's going to go into more deeply uh, very soon, uh, bringing out this point. So I'll wait till we get there. Um, but we notice, we observe, we may even have personal experience of, that sometimes after chanting the holy name, a person remains in material bondage. 
what's going on there? So Jiva brings up the point. Valid, it's a valid question. What's what's? I mean, you're if there if the holy name is is uh, you know has all the potencies. You know, uh, uh, as the personality. In fact, it's even to be considered more merciful. You know, then why, why am I still in material existence? Why, why am I not experiencing sattvic abhavs? Why am I not experiencing the hair standing on end, and the voice faltering, tears pouring from the eyes, when I'm in the presence of the holy name? There's no difference. They're both Krishna. Krishna's fully present in his name. Fully present. Not partially present. It's not a representation of him. It's Krishna. His conscious energy is there in his name. He's consciously present in his name. Objection. Excluding the narrations of great devotees in Scripture, it is almost impossible to find a person who has experienced the full power of the holy name as described in the Shastra. In the Shastra you can read about an Ajamiya or read about the you know, these great personalities, but our experience may not stand up to that explanation as provided in Shastra. What's up with that? So Jiva's saying, here's here's your here's a valid objection. Let's deal with it. Reply, chanting must be free of offenses. A disposition which is inharmonious with the complete reality that is Bhagavan inhibits the holy name from manifesting its power. There's a lot in that statement. A disposition, a mentality which is not in full harmony with a full turning of consciousness, which is a a phrase that was used earlier, a full turning of consciousness to the Supreme Absolute, to Bhagavan, that in and of itself is enough to create a disharmony with the potency of the Holy Name. Jiva goes on, from this statement it is understood that some great offense, like imagining the glories of the holy name to be exaggeration, is presenting an obstacle. That's from his Anucheda. So we know that ten offenses to the holy name, to think the holy name is an exaggeration. So we look at these offenses, we look to the fact that that these, these serious offenses against the holy name and against you know they they really it's important and those those offenses that can actually destroy bhakti are are easily dealt with in in the association of the sadhus we don't generally have misconceptions about the efficacy of the holy name we don't think it's imagination we don't think that what's said about the efficacy of the holy name is equivalent to other ritualistic sections of Shastra. 
It's in a class of its own. So it's just like fire. Fire has the ability to burn grass. But burning green grass is much more difficult than burning dry grass. Offenses are so powerful that even a liberated Jivan Mukta can fall from the liberated status. Rupa Goswami writes, Even Baba, the permanent awaking of transcendental being, can disappear altogether if one commits a grievous offense to someone who is very dear to Krishna. Can disappear. Bhava can disappear. If the offense is of the medium gravity, Bhava can mutate into a mere facsimile of itself. Bhava boss. And offenses of a lesser gravity, this is the least offensive offense, to another Vaishnav, can transform Baba from a higher grade of intensity and completion into Baba of a lesser grade. So let's stick with that attitude and not offend Krishna's devotees. Not take the chance of experiencing any of these downgrades or losses or turning Baba into a boss of Baba, just a a, a, you know, a shadow. Better not to go there. The name of the Lord is is of the nature of bliss, just like his form. As Sonica said, Alas, the heart that does not melt by reciting the names of Sri Hari is surely made of stone. When the heart does melt, tears flow from the eyes and the hairs of the body stand on end in ecstasy. That simply means we need to stay under the shelter of the guru and the sadhus and and continue to deepen our understanding of the efficacy of the holy name. It's unlimitedly deep. <laughs> There's unlimited knowledge to be had. Not that you want to be a jnani and we're trying to accumulate knowledge and put it in our knowledge account, you know, so that we can say, well, I have such a big, huge amount of knowledge. No, but we want to continue to strive to understand Krishna more and more. The essence of what is Krishna? What is Viraj Bhakti? What does it mean to be a Raganuga Bhakti? What does it mean to follow in the footsteps of the Rigatmikas? What does it mean to take on the mood of, of Vrindavan? Why do I want to do that instead of simply going to Vaikuntha? Why is my guru recommending? Why am I here in this Sampradaya being given this opportunity and how do I take full advantage of it? It may take me whatever it takes. Mama Janmani Janmani Sware, what do I care how many births? But at least let me take on the mood of of the the head of our Sampradaya, Lord Brahma, when he when he prayed to Krishna. Just any little plant where I can get the foot dust of these in these people, their their level of love for Krishna is can't be it can't be even imagined anywhere. If I could just get one particle of dust from their feet as being a plant, 
then then I could see I would have some prospect to follow in their wake. From the Skanda Parada, Lord's name is identical with his form, being the fruit of all the Vedas. Identical with his form. O best of the Brigu dynasty, the holy name of Krishna is the sweetest of the sweet and the most auspicious of the auspicious. It is the sacred fruit of the creeper of all the Vedas and is conscious in nature. What Whosoever chants it but once, whether faithfully or inadvertently, becomes liberated. It's a nice statement to think the name is conscious. The holy name is conscious. That means we're certainly aware when you're chanting it. It's not just a sound vibration. It is the personality of Godhead, fully aware that you are addressing him and her and his brother. Or the fact that he's a lover. However you conceive it, Ram, just to think that the more conscious I am that Krishna is conscious of what I'm doing in vibrating his name, it's a reciprocal consciousness. We're aware of each other. It begins here. My awareness of Krishna and his awareness that I'm becoming aware of him. It's, it's quite an, to, to, to take, just to think a little bit about that. The holy name is, it's fully conscious. As we enter into the holy name, we become more and more aware that there's somebody there listening. As attentively as I'm trying to, to vibrate, there's that much attention coming back to me from the other side but it's not in the direct proportion. Now we're going to get to proportions here when it comes to that aspect of the holy name and, and Krishna. It's not proportional. He's God. He's real big. We're infinitesimal. So we give, we give a little and he gives a lot in comparison. So the, the name is the very Swarup of the Lord is the point being made here. It is his Swarup Shakti. This is clearly stated in the Narada Pancharatra in the course of explaining the eight-syllable mantra. Sri Narayana himself is directly present in the mouths of people who chant the eight-syllable mantra. In the Upanishads, while referring to Om, it is said, the letter Om is all this. And indeed, all this is Om, Mundaka Upanishad. Mundaka Karika states, Pranava Om is Parabrahman, and it is said and is said to be transcendental. Pranava is unprecedented, imperishable, without exterior or interior, and beyond which there is nothing. Pranava is the beginning, middle, and end of everything. Knowing Pranava is in this way one attains him. Know Pranava to be the Supreme Lord Ishvara in everyone's heart. A sober person who knows the all-pervading Om no longer laments. 
Om is immeasurable, unlimited, all auspicious in the end of dualism. Only one who knows Om is to be considered a wise sage and no one else. The end of dualism. Advayagyana. Back to the core verse upon which this section of the Sundarbas is based. Vidati tattva vidas. People that know the difference between one thing and another. Vidati tattva vidas. Tattva vayam. They strive for knowledge of this advayam, this non-dual. And they perceive it as Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. When we talk about this non-dual, just just try to enter into this understanding. What's non-dual? Non-dual consciousness. Everything, everything that we experience is duality in this world. Everything we're 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 struggling for material existence because we live in a world of duality. We call that matter. It's both subtle and gross. What would it be like to reside in a world of pure consciousness, not sattva? Not material sattva, not the finities of 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 of, of sound vibration like in a in a, a fine orchestra presentation of a symphony, a great composer. It's very subtle. You can go into a world, and I don't know if any of you have ever watched a movie called Fantasia, but the creator of Fantasia, they tried to take you. And show you that, that that musical conception in itself could take you into a heavenly atmosphere. Just sit back, close your eyes, and off you go. And that's sattva. And sattva on this plane is what? Rajas and Thomas. There's not pure sattva. Imagine Sudha sattva. First of all, getting to the platform of sattva, a sattvic personality. What, what kind of a life they live? One who situated these the Brahminical class of men, you know, living in, in, in just absorbed in sattva and, and a regimented life that's that's clear of all obstacles and free free meditation just entering into the core of your your being without any mental disturbances to cloud your contemplations and samadhi we can kind of cons- that sounds really really nice so we call such a person jivan mukta he's liberated in life He's a Sukadev. Just imagine that kind of purity of consciousness, a Jivan Mukta, somebody like a Sukadev Goswami, that kind of 
purity of consciousness is not even comparable to an infinitesimal drop in an ocean of Krishna consciousness, of of the consciousness that that is Krishna's Swarup Shakti. To even contemplate at what it would be like to be on this on the on the sattva platform materially, and then just to conceive of there's nothing that stands in your way in spiritual life. Whatever you want is provided. It's a land of Shintamani, a land of Kalpavriksha trees, a land of Surabi cows. Just to give us some, some idea of what this kind of pure conscious living is. There's no material bodies. There's spiritual bodies of pure consciousness. There's nothing that stands in your way. Everything's conscious there. Everything's fully awareness. We can't even conceive of it. We're, Bhagavatam tells us this and that. We hear from the sadhus and we read Bhagavatamrita and going up and down in the material and the spiritual world and all these different planes of of material existence and then spiritual existence and the Vaikuntas and Shiva Loka and it's imagine here we are in Kali Yuga you know, bogged down with trying to chant sixteen rounds and keep you know our mind out of the gutter. What a difference it must be like to be in the consciousness and being aware of the reality of our spiritual existence and then entering into a deeper reality where we can share that experience with other people of pure consciousness and the Supreme. And then we can enter into his playground where he doesn't even think about the manifestations of the material world. He plays so hard he forgets who he is. So that's that's what's being offered here through the medium of the holy name as given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for this humanity at this point in time. It's truly inconceivable what opportunities being provided. Non-dual Non-dual means you're not going to come up against anything. No impediments. No duality. Nothing standing in your way when you reach that pure level of devotional rapture. Padma Purana, another statement. The holy name of Krishna is a wish-fulfilling gem. Indeed, it is Krishna himself as the embodiment of conscious ecstasy. It is complete, pure, eternally liberated because of the non-distinction of the name and its repository. Nama, Nami, Abhinatva. Then Jiva Goswami brings up again something he touched upon a little earlier. We might as well drive it home, make sure, make sure we got it. So he brings it up again. 
an objection may be raised. How can the holy name, naturally self-endowed with such divine attributes, be generated by or arise from the senses, i.e. the tongue, of a mere human being? No, don't think like that. The name is not generated by the tongue. Rather, the entire Veda was made manifest to the human senses by the Supreme Lord himself. A vivid example is Bharat Maharaj as a deer facing death. As a deer, he chanted. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, this is his prayer, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is a sacrifice personified. He gives the results of ritualistic activity. He is the protector of religious systems, the personification of mystic yoga, the source of all knowledge, the controller of the creation, and the supersoul in every living entity. He is beautiful and attractive. I am quitting this body, offering obeisances unto him, and hoping that I may personally engage in his transcendental loving service. Gajendra, as an elephant, also said, with great difficulty, due to his painful condition, he uttered the following words, O oh, my Lord Narayan, Master of the Universe, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. The Vedas, too, are self-manifested. Point being made here is both Bharat Maharaj, in the form of a deer, and Gajendra, they were able to present these prayers because they're of the condition they were in for one and for the the fact and the link to what Jeeva was making, the point he's making, that it's it's not really G the the transcendental sound vibrations, these prayers, chanting of the holy name, it's it's not manifest by simply the human senses. It's transcendent from the 11th canto. As the unlimited, unchanging, and omnipotent Supreme Lord dwelling within all living beings, I personally established a Vedic sound vibration in the form of Omkar within all living entities. It is thus perceived subtly with a, like a single strand of fiber on a lotus stalk. So now the pieces start coming together. That in this distressful condition, approaching death, both Gajendra and the deer, Bhat Maharaj, immediately the Vedas were, were manifest to them. It's not that they needed a human consciousness, that they needed a human awareness, that it was not part of their being that, as stated earlier from another sloka, the fact that Omkara is part of our nature. So these, the whole Veda is there and contained therein. We just need inspiration. That will also come out as we go forward. And now Jiva begins that, bringing that fact that this inspiration to pray in a certain way and the inspiration for chanting is not simply a, a, a vibration, a material vibration. First, it, first, there's a quote from the 12th canto. Great sages, the great sages systematically divided the Vedas as directed by the immortal Lord dwelling in their hearts. 
So this is from the twelfth canto, a statement by Krishna himself. Sridhar Swami adds here in his commentary, in the event that someone should doubt the authority of the Vedas, thinking them to be products of human intelligence, this verse proclaims that they were inspired by the Lord dwelling in the heart. So the whole point being made here is to emphasize the fact that whether it be the prayers at death of Gajendra or, or Bharat the deer, all this, or the inspiration whereby the sages could properly divide the Vedas, that transcendental subdebrahman, so that human society could consume it. It's all, all this is happening due to the transcendental potency of the Veda itself, to the in, indwelling super-soul, the inspiration. He's the inspiration behind any of us that are able to chant prayers that we've learned from the Shastra. He's the inspiration that allowed the sages to make the Veda available to human society, even in Kali Yuga. The same is also expressed by the Garbha Stiti prayers. These are prayers to Krishna in Devaki's womb. O Lord, you are the witness of the mind. The means of your realization can only be inferred. Your name and forms along with your attributes, actions and births can neither be conceived by the mind nor extolled through speech. Yet in devotional service they can be perceived. Oh, just as the tongue cannot is not the source of the sound vibration. The sound is coming out, but the fact is it's simply lighting what's already there. The potency of the the Vedic mantras. Krishna is the witness, and for those, as stated here in the in the tenth canto, the advent of Lord Krishna, chapter, the prayers to the Lord in the womb, you can't really conceive of these things with a mundane mind. You can only begin to have a glimpse and infer how this realization can happen. We can only think it may be happening this way, is what's being said here. You may be able to understand the Supreme's birth, activities, form, and holy name. You can infer it based on your experiences, but your revelation, your realization comes through your practice of devotional service. It doesn't say that we shouldn't, we can take all the help we can get. So we can see, we can conceive of what the Shastra, what the Veda is telling us. We can conceive of the fact that the tongue is chanting the holy name. We can infer how these things are happening. But in reality, the revelation, the realization of how the Lord Swarup Shakti is actually manifesting in the material world, that comes through devotional service or Krishna's Kripa Shakti. Again, back to the verse, Atashri Krishna Namadi, Nabhaved Grahamindriya. Sevan Mukhi Hejiva Dao Swayameva Sparachada. 
Tata Shri Krishna Namadi. All this knowledge of Krishna and all of his potencies and energies and form, name, qualities, pastimes, all of it is coming to us from the transcendental plane. The material senses, the material tongue, the material mind can only think of what it might be. But, Sevan Mukhi He Jivadao, that we can actually experience it through spiritual saturation. So I'll stop there. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Bunch of copper tubes, chakibs, big chakibs, dita dumb, have a new relation to the Jimmy Moon Namaha.